I am so honored to be here. If you just stay standing, stay standing, grab your Bibles. It's just my custom to stand when we read the Word of God. I feel like we stand for so much uh, that doesn't matter. And I believe that sometimes we ought to stand for the things that do. How many love the Word of God in this room? I'm so grateful. I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of John, the book of John chapter 2. And uh, I feel like preaching this morning. If you've never heard me, I'm one of them holler back preachers. I like it when you talk back to me. Um, But John chapter 2, and while you're turning, let me just say how honored I am to stand in this pulpit today. How honored I am to have been a part of Anthem. And I thank God for the leadership of this church. I thank God for the staff. If you appreciate the staff of this church, the staff, you ought to make some noise for them right now. I honor you. Thank God for you. Um, I would be amiss in this room this morning not to even uh, give honor to your lead pastors, um, Pastor Randon and his incredible wife, uh, who are leading you somewhere. Come on, somebody. You ought to be thankful for leaders that know how to take you somewhere. One of the most frustrating things is to be a part of something going nowhere. And it's like being behind a parked car. But aren't you thankful for leaders that are always trying to take you to new levels and next dimensions and greater places in God? So if you love your lead pastors, you ought to, come on, this will be a good place for you to let them know how much you love them. I honor you. I thank God for you. If I were you, no matter what, Uh, I would always stay behind them, get behind them, push them into the place God has called them to be because wherever they go, you're going to. Somebody shout amen. Well, are you ready for the word of God? I feel like yelling in your ear what he's been whispering in mine. Can I just preach it like I feel it in this room? Uh, John chapter 2, 11 verses. I sense the anointing of God in this room. This is what the word of God would say this morning. The Bible says, on the third day there was... A wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. First of all, don't ever talk to your mama like that. Come on, somebody. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner for the purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made to wine, it did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, Every man at the beginning sets out good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have, oh hallelujah, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. It is my assignment. God sent me all the way from Florida to come to you this Sunday morning to preach you a message because he's asking you a question this morning that he so desperately needs an answer because he sent me here to say that he wants your water. Can we pray? Father, I sense your anointing in this room. Father, I pray in this room, speak. Open up your mouth, Lord, and say something till everything changes. Father, we didn't come to be the same. We came never to be the same 
Father, move in our hearts, God. Let our eyes see what we've never seen and our ears hear what we've never heard. Speak, Holy Ghost, and have your way. And we give you praise and glory for it all. And if you believe it, somebody, give God some praise right now as you're seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Just high-five somebody and say, he wants your water. He, he wants your water. If there's anything I believe that is elusive to so many people that everyone is born with but yet few try to find and have found is this thing called purpose. Everybody has one but few find theirs. It is the most elusive thing in the culture, in the world that we live in today. Purpose is an incredible thing. Purpose is not the what you do, it's the why you are. And every person in the room has a why that should precede the what. The tragedy in most of us is that most of us have spent our entire life doing what after what without ever discovering why. And the more you do what without ever knowing why, you will always find yourself in the place of frustration, grasping at something that you know exists, yet not really knowing what it is. But I feel like I'm in a room with some people today that say, God, I want to discover my purpose so I can do what I've never done and be ushered into the place you've always called me to be. Purpose is a powerful and prolific thing in your life. The power of purpose is that when you know who you are, the first blessing of purpose is to know who you are is also to know who you're not. Oh, y'all too quiet on me. I said to know who you are is first to know who you're not. It is a blessing sometimes to know who you're not. Oh, hallelujah. Y'all ain't saying nothing. It's a blessing sometimes to know that there are some jobs I was never meant to have. And there were some people I was never meant to connect with. And there were some people I couldn't date and I can't marry. Why? Not because they're bad and I'm ultra good. But I have not been called according to their purpose. I have been called according to the purpose of God. And my why won't let you stay. Everybody needs purpose. Everybody needs purpose. I know the question you're asking me this morning is, Pastor Josh, if my purpose is so profound and prolific and I must discover it, how then do I discover my purpose? I'm glad you asked. Because God often leaves two clues when he gets you to discover your purpose. Clue number one, he always gives you a passion. If you want to discover purpose, look at the passion of your life. There ought to be something that drives you and disturbs you. There ought to be something while everybody runs away, you run too. There ought to be something that keeps you up at night and drives you in the morning. That when your feet hit the floor after a good night's sleep, your passion should drive you towards something. And here's the problem is that most of us want purpose, but we haven't discovered our passion. There is nothing that disturbs us enough to move. And you will always know your, know your purpose when you discover passion. Because passion is the fuel of purpose. That when everybody else gets tired, if you've got passion, your passion will drive you into something great. It will push you to keep going. Your passion won't let you give up when everybody, when everybody around you quits. Your passion is the first clue of purpose. Your passion, your passion. But there's a second clue that many don't discover that you need if you want to discover your purpose it is my friend a problem I know you thought I was going to say platform but how many know God doesn't give platforms until he knows you can solve problems y'all ain't saying nothing most purpose if you really want to know where your real purpose is you need a passion but you also have to have a problem without a problem there could be no purpose Oh, let me show you what I mean. Do you realize that everything that was ever created was only created to solve a problem? 
I have a watch on my arm. And this watch, the creation of this watch, has only been created to solve the problem of me not knowing the time. And when the watch was created with, oh, hallelujah, to solve the problem, every time I check the watch, every time I check the watch for the time, the purpose is fulfilled in the watch itself. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that if you're still here, I'm trying to tell you if you're not dead. I'm trying to tell you that if you still got breath in your lungs. I'm trying to tell you that if you're still on this earth today, that God is not finished with your life. That somewhere in this community, in your family, on your job, there is a problem. And when you solve that problem, your purpose will be revealed. If you believe it, give God praise right now. See, that's the praise we don't give God too often. We don't give God praise for the problems, but the truth is you wouldn't have, oh, hallelujah, you wouldn't have a purpose if there wasn't a problem somewhere. That's why Jesus never got a Pharisee on his team. Because Pharisees were good problem seers. They just weren't good problem solvers. And when God lets you see a problem, oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. When God lets you see a problem, he only lets you see the problem because somewhere in your life you may be called to solve the problem. He lets you see. God, get us back to a place in this church, in this community, where when we see a problem, we ask ourselves, am I the answer? Am I the answer? Am I the answer to that or am I the answer to this? Because the moment you begin to be an answer, God can take you further than what you ever thought you could go and do more with your life than what you ever thought you could do God wants you to solve the problems you see I know you want a platform but can you solve a problem it's to the degree that you can solve the problem that God exalts you on the platform he doesn't hand mics out to people who don't know how to fix messes your purpose is tied to your passion and tied to a problem. And the day you discover it, you will stop competing with people and start completing people. When I know who I am and you know who you are, we won't fight over stuff that belongs to you and you won't fight over the stuff that belongs to me. Instead, we will link arms and say, you do your thing and I'll do my thing and we'll grab because one, I feel like preaching, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. And if we ever link up, we'll run every devil out of Beaumont. We'll run every devil out of this region and we will push ourselves into the place God has called us to be, Pastor. So Josh, why did you just take the first five minutes of your message to talk about purpose and passion and problems? Because this, my friends, is the backdrop of our text. Is that in Cana of Galilee, there is a problem. The problem is, is that somewhere in the middle of this marriage, this wedding, that they have run out. It made me ask the question, at what point did they run out? Because really every wedding is broken down into two segments, the covenant and the ceremony. Every wedding starts out with covenant and graduates into ceremony. After the party, there's the after party. And isn't that like the Christian walk that when we begin, we always start in covenant? Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. That when we give our lives to Jesus, we breed intimacy with God and we begin to have encounters with God that touch us and save us and deliver us and heal us. We start in covenant. But if you're not careful, your covenant can become ceremony if you don't keep up the intimacy. 
Is that too deep? If you're not careful, you can end up coming to church. And when you first came to church, you could be all in worshiping, worshiping like you've lost your mind. And everything is covenant because you realize that when you came into covenant with God, you could get stuff you couldn't get for yourself. Oh, you could get blessings that you didn't know you could have. There are benefits to serving God. But if you're not careful and you keep going through the motions, all of a sudden what was covenant can become ceremony. And ceremony works until life hits. Going through the motions works in church. Y'all are too quiet. Going through the motion works in church until life hits. Sing my favorite songs, preach my favorite message. I'm not going to move. Works as well as, as long as nothing is going on in your life. But how many of there are sometimes life will broadside you? How many of there are sometimes there are things that will hit your life that you weren't ready for? In the text, they are in the middle of graduating from the covenant moment into ceremony and life hit and they ran out. Because ceremony only works until life hits. But the product of when life hits is that oftentimes something runs out. And there are people in this room this morning who walked in here on empty. I'm in it right now. There are some of you that walked in to a place you once knew as life-giving, only to have walked in with nothing to give. In the text, this moment has occurred, and before they knew it in the ceremony, empty everywhere. Oh, yeah. I said empty is everywhere. They're looking for something and can't find it. And how many know if you can't find it there, you'll look for it anywhere. Whenever you run out, running out is a dangerous place. Being empty is a dangerous place because you'll look to fill that need anywhere with anyone doing anything. And the enemy always looks for the believer who's empty. In the text, they are empty. And they are desperate. And somebody said, we've tried everything we know and nothing has worked. Somebody in the room said, this must be a job for Jesus. The power of this text is the fact that even though he was a last resort, he still came. Oh, y'all too, too quiet on me. I said, the fact is, they waited until it was gone. And yet when they called on him to come into the problem, he still came. My friends, that's real grace. And that's real mercy at the fact that sometimes he is a last resort. But though he is a last resort, when you call on his name, he'll still come running right to where you are. And I want to tell somebody who's empty, who's tried everything and it's not working, maybe this is a job for Jesus. Uh, maybe this one is a job for Jesus. And then when you get desperate, desperation knows no decency. And you'll say, God, if you don't come through, I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know if it's about to get fixed, but Jesus, uh, if you'll come in, I'll let you do what you got to do to help me get to where you've called me to be. Somebody who knows it's a job for Jesus ought to give him praise right now. 
That family situation is a job for Jesus. That issue is a job for Jesus. That struggle is a job for Jesus. Before you go on Facebook and before you get people to help you, maybe, maybe, just maybe, if you tried everything and it hadn't worked, maybe, my friends, this is a job for Jesus. This is a job for Jesus. Oh, I feel the anointing. This is a, I'm prophesying to somebody in this room right now who's tried it every way you know how, but this, my friends, is not a job for them or him or her. This is a job for Jesus. And when they called on Jesus, though being a last resort, he still came. If he doesn't do another thing for me, the fact that he showed up despite being my last pick, it's enough for me to praise him for the rest of my life. The fact that I didn't choose him first and I didn't consult him first and he still come came running is why I worship like I've lost my mind because he's still faithful when I'm not. In the text, they have run out. They have called for him. And despite being the last resort, he has now shown up. And he has shown up to be an answer in the middle of a problem. Because Jesus, Jesus doesn't know how to be a problem in your problem. He only knows how to be an answer in your problem. And when he shows up, he is greeted. Watch this. Not by the bride, not by the bridegroom. He's not greeted by the people. He's not greeted by the ring bearer. Come on, somebody. The person that first greets him is his mama. Uh-oh. Because I don't know about y'all, but I have one of them crazy mamas. My mama wasn't Pentecostal. My mama was Pentecostal. I had one of them mamas that would slap me from four rows back. I don't know how she did it. She had them go-go gadget arms in church. He is greeted by his mother. And when he shows up, she starts saying, you got to do this. And if you look at Jesus, when he is approached by his mother, it almost looks like through his response, he doesn't want to do it. She says, do what you do. He looks at her and says, my hour has not yet come. He's bold. He's bold. But what I want you to see in this moment of emptiness is that, watch this, though they needed him bad enough, that wasn't enough for him to respond. It was only when the one who knew him well enough, oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. It's only when the one who knew him well enough said, wait a second, I know what you can do. Oh, see, see, there are some of you in this room, that's why you got to watch who you hang with and watch who you're around. Because you got to get around people that even when you have a need, you got to get around some people that know him well enough. You got to get around some people that will say, I know what he can do. All my life I've seen him heal. I've seen him do miracles. I've seen him come through. And when you get around some folks that know him well enough, sometimes knowing him well enough will give you the kind of authority to say I know you can and I'm not leaving until you do I'm going to stay in your face until you answer my prayer touch my life heal my I wonder at Triumph Church this morning if there's anybody that says because I know him I can place a demand on him God we're not moving until we see you respond in our lives somebody take 10 seconds who knows him well enough and give him praise and say God oh yeah for every person in this room 
room, do it. For every body that needs to be healed, do it. For every young person that needs to be saved, do it. For my son, for my daughter, for my lost family members, I know you well enough. I've seen you do it. Now, God, I'm placing a demand. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. I feel the anointing. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. I wish I had a church in here that would open up your mouth and just say, do it, Lord. See, when you're in covenant relationship, you can walk up to him and say, I know this may not seem like the time. I'm on, I know this may not feel like the time, but I'm going to be persistent with my faith until you move on my behalf. I'm not leaving until I see you come through. I remember in the old church, they would call prayer meetings. My grandparents, my grandparents dated at prayer meetings. And the stories they would tell about how they would lay in the floor, y'all ain't saying nothing, for hours. And they would say, we're not getting up. Y'all ain't saying nothing. We're not moving. We're not leaving until you answer us. We're going to stay here until you move. See, that's what happens when you know him well enough. It's because Mary knew. See, everybody thinks this was his first miracle. But there's something in Mary's speech that says, I've seen him do this. Mary knew something about him. And because she knew something about him, she placed a demand on him. And though in the text it seems like he doesn't want to, all of a sudden she looks and says, now whatever he says to do, do it. Because once you get out of the realm of knowing he can and saying, I know you will, the next step is, can he do it the way he wants? Maybe the only thing keeping you out of the miracle and the blessing and the thing God has prepared is God's inability to do it how he wants. Is it possible that your opinion is keeping you out of his solution? Is it possible that, that you're saying, if you don't do it like I want you to do if you don't do it how I expect you to do it, then don't do it. Is it possible that you are yelling in faith and yet living like you've still got control? Because if you really want a miracle, oh, y'all ain't. If you really want a blessing, if you really want God to move on your behalf, every once in a while you've got to learn how to lose control and let him take it. I found in my faith that the moment I lose control is the moment he takes control and does what I cannot do. Can he do it how he wants? Are you okay with God answering your prayer his way? Because until you get cool with him doing it how he wants, you might not see what he promised to answer. In the text, he now says, I'm going to do it the way I want. I've learned that when God answers your prayers, he does it so he gets maximum glory. And that's why sometimes it seems like he's late. But my friends, hear me in this room. He's never late. He's always on. How can you be late if you made time? Do you not understand? Time doesn't control God. God controls time. That's the power of him saying, I can redeem the time. Is that I'm not under... Th 
the thumb of time. That's why some of you need to stop worrying. You not you need to stop being afraid because when God answers you, God cannot just answer you, but He'll redeem time you thought you lost to make sure you have the time you need to fulfill your purpose. In the text, all of a sudden, He says, "The stage is set. I am the answer." I have found somebody who will let me do it like I want. The stage is set. No, no, no. Not just for a miracle, hear me, but for obedience. Because the bridge into the miraculous is always called obedience. It's one thing for him to give you his strategy for victory. It's another thing for you to obey your way there. And he says, I have now told you what I'm going to do. Let me hurry. Now let me show you how I'm going to do it. And if you look at the text, it seems like in the text that there is a scene shift. As if we were watching a movie and things have just turned to another scene. Because the text says that over in the corner sat six water pots of stone. For the manner of the purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. In the middle of him saying, I'm going to get my answer to this problem. His eyes are not fixed. Oh, hallelujah. On anything else in the room. Not the pretty stuff. He didn't go run to a vineyard. He said, to, to get the answer I need for the problem that's here, my eyes are fixed on a vessel. Because the truth is, the only two people he talks to in this whole text are those with relationship, yes. But the two people that really come to the forefront are servants and vessels. Because anytime God gets ready to do something that will impact a place or somewhere, he's looking for servants and vessels. If you want God to do something great and you're looking for a title, let me give you two titles that will always lead to promotion in the kingdom. You either got to be a servant or a vessel because both will let him use them so that he gets glory. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. And all of a sudden his eyes in the middle of a problem with the solution at hand, he is not fixated on anything else except a vessel. The Bible calls this vessel a vessel of stone. Six vessels of stone. Six. Six vessels of stone. Six vessels. Six. Six. The number of man. Which tells me that when God is getting ready to do something miraculous, I'm looking for a man. When I'm getting ready to to bring a change, I'm looking for a man. Oh. When I'm getting ready to do something that will flip a city, I'm not looking to an animal and I'm not looking to a thing. I'm not looking for the immaterial. I'm looking for a, a man. Could it be this morning that to fix the problem in this region, God is not looking anywhere else but down your aisle and on your row and into your heart. God is looking for somebody he can use to make a difference. He's looking for a vessel. He's looking, not just any vessel, watch this, a vessel of stone. Not bedazzled, not bejeweled, not gold, not diamonds. I'm looking for ordinary. I'm looking for average. 
Because when I go to do supernatural, I'm not looking for super. I'm looking for natural. When I go to do extraordinary, I'm not looking for extra. That's my job. I'm looking for ordinary. And when God finds natural and ordinary, he'll put his super and his extra on your life to do something you never thought you could do. What I'm trying to tell somebody in this room is, is that if you are sitting in this room feeling like you're average and feeling like you're less than, for my friends, you are in the proper position for God to use you in a way that is mighty for the kingdom. Because when God looks for people, he's looking for the stone vessel. The one, hear me, somebody can come to the keys. The one that everybody else walked past. This bucket has been sitting there the whole time. I came to prophesy to somebody who feels like you've been passed by that their eyes may not be on you, but he is staring in your direction. Not only was this manner of the purification... Of the Jew, uh, six, this manner of the purification of the Jews, which means this was a bucket full of dirty water. And I want to talk to some people who are in this room today who feel like their entire life has been nothing but getting everybody else's dirt. I want to talk to the person in the room who knows you were made for more. But all you've ever gotten in your life, you come to church services and watch everybody else get a blessing. And you never seem to leave with yours. Everybody else gets a touch. Yet somewhere in your life you feel too dirty to be touched. Why would he use me? How could he use me? Yet in the text, only thing he wanted to do this miracle was somebody who would just say, here I am. Dirt and all. Issue and all. Pain and all. Struggles and all. You can use me. I'll be the one that you can use to change the world. And the Bible says that he looked at it and said, now that you have given yourself to me, fill that water pot with water. And Pastor Rand, I'm done. But when I read that, I lost my mind because they asked for water and water doesn't seem like a solution. He wanted water. That's not the solution because they wanted wine. Yet he asked for water. Why? Because God never asks you for what you don't have. And I know some of you think that what you have is not enough. And what you have can't be used. And what you have might be too dirty for a holy God. But nevertheless, if God has asked you for it, it must be the answer for the world that you live in and the life that you're leading and living. God is saying, I want your water. Because here's what he knows that you don't. 
that their wine is in your water. And if I can get your water, if I can get your water, I can give them their wine. There is a world that is waiting for wine and the answer is in your water. The Bible says that the moment they filled it with water, God went to work, transforming it, hallelujah, from the inside out. Because if you want to know where good ministry comes from, good ministry comes from being transformed effectively from the inside out. And in a moment of being transformed, there was a moment where after the process of transformation, he said, draw out now. I got to hurry. Draw out now. Draw out now. And see, there is a moment where God will come to you. I know you feel delayed. I know you feel denied. But there is a moment set aside for your purpose that when God sees it's the perfect time, he's going to draw out of you everything he has put on the inside of you to make a difference in your world. Draw out now. And then he took it too, because that's how he does it. That's the process. He'll draw it out to take it too. Anytime God blesses you, it's not just for you. It's for the world around you. He said, draw it and take it. And they took it to the bridegroom. Preach, Pastor Josh, finish this message. Here it is. All of a sudden, they took it to the bridegroom. And he said, tasted it. Uh, Because that's what people do. They taste. And they see. Not that you're good, but they taste and see that God is good. God is transforming your life into the way that they will touch you and taste him to know that he is good. And he drunk the wine that came from water and said, wait a second. I have tasted everything. That's what the world is saying now. I've tasted a lot of things. I've tasted alcohol. I've tasted drugs. I've tasted bad relationships. I've tasted depression. I've tasted it. I've tasted But there's something in what you just gave me. That when I tasted this, it was unlike anything I have ever tasted. He said, I thought you gave me the good stuff. But you have saved the best for last, for you have brought me good wine. I'm done. Good wine. Good wine. Wait a second. They wanted wine, but he gave them good wine. I called my professor at the University of Maryland in Jewish studies, Dr. Hyam Lappin. I said, what is the difference between, watch this, wine and good wine? He said, it's simple. He said, wine had, uh, had more water than it had juice. He said, but good wine has little to no water in it. And I heard John say, I must decrease less of me so that there can be more of him. When you do this thing right, God will take your water and by the time he's done with you, it's going to be you, but it's going to be him. Oh, By the time God is finished with you, it's going to be you, 
but it's going to be him. That's how God goes undercover to save families and save communities is he takes your water, turns it into his wine, and takes himself to every place that needs to taste and see that he's good. And my friends here at Triumph Church, I heard the Lord say in prayer that this is about to be a season where he is asking for your water. And if you would be willing to give him your water, he's about to turn you in to good wine so that the world around you may taste and see how good he is. I prophesy family salvation, healings, miracles, signs and wonders through your life. This is your moment. If he can have your water, if you believe it, give God praise right now. Jump up on your feet, everybody. There's so much in this text, but let me finish it like this. All of a sudden, what was a problem was solved, watch this, through surrender. The problem that the world has is waiting on the believer's surrender. And if you give him your water, he will turn it. The Bible says to close the text that this beginning of miracles. Everybody has always taught me that this was his first miracle. But we have pretty good resource to know that this probably wasn't his first. And by the way, where in the text did it say first? It said this beginning. In other words, what God was trying to tell us is that when he gets ready to do every miracle, this is the way he starts it. I started by taking somebody's water and turning it into the wine somebody else needs, and then the miracle can be accomplished. God sent me here this morning to tell you he wants your water. I sense in my spirit that God is trying to do more through you than what you know. And if you would be willing to give up your water, however dirty, low, and lonely it may seem, God is promising that he will do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can even ask or think. God is for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Slip up your hands in this room. I sense the anointing of God. I'm about to pray for you, but I feel the kind of anointing in this room that is going to require surrender. I sense the kind of anointing that God is eager to do something great in this community, but he's waiting on your surrender. I want you to take 60 seconds right here, and I want you to begin to lift up your voice, open up your mouth, and tell him, God, you can have my water for the sake of my family, for the sake of my community, for the sake of the problems around me. Take my water. Use my water. Transform my water until I become everything you want me to be father in the name of Jesus come on triumph church come on triumph church reach out for a second reach up let him know he can have you let him know he can have for the rest of your life so father in the name of Jesus I declare and decree that this is a season of surrender this is a season of whatever you want to do and however you want to do it and whatever you want to do Lord it belongs to you take my vessel have my water and change my world In Jesus' name, if you believe it, somebody give God a shout of praise in this room right now. This is your season. 
This is your moment. This is your hour. I prophesy. This is the season you've been waiting on. The only requirement is your water. Father, in the name of Jesus, we surrender. And we give it all in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen.